0: Hi, um, welcome to the Accidental Marketer podcast. I'm Mary Abazia and I'm joined with my partner and co-author of the Accidental Marketer, Tom Spitali and Sean Willem, who heads up our European operation for our consulting firm, Impact Planning Group. Um, Hey, Tom. Hey, Sean.
1: Hi, Mary. Hey,
0: Mary. Oh, good. Okay. This podcast... Um, like all our podcasts, are designed to help accidental marketers. And it may be you, or it may be that you're trying to figure out because you work with other people that are accidental marketers. So um, we have the fourth chapter of our book. It's titled, What Business Are You Really In? And it's about proactively defining the market um, or markets. And then in the process, you're trying to identify who your true competitors are so um tom you uh you highlight in the book the Southwest Airlines case, and people really enjoy that uh why why is that how what is it about Southwest Airlines story that helps us understand this
2: it's such a simple um, illustration of how powerful it can be to define your markets creatively to any one of us or even any one of Southwest airlines competitors they'd say, well they're in the airline business silly <laughs> but um, in its early days, uh, that's not how Southwest Airlines defined themselves. Um, they defined themselves as a competitor trying to capture market share in the, in, in the uh, field of short-distance travel. In other words, the way they were setting up their hubs, the way that they were setting up their fares, everything that they were doing was an attempt to not compete with other airlines, but get people who were typically used to maybe taking a Greyhound bus or even driving across the short distances of the cities that Southwest Airlines connected, get them to to fly, and in the process, they you know they they, they drove costs out of their system. They were able to make those short distance flights competitive uh, financially with riding a bus or driving a car. And it was, it was a, a, just a situation where by looking at the market a little bit differently, they were able to define customer needs a little bit better and really flummox their competitors.
0: Wow. Um, Sean, you've, you've taught uh, for several years this topic and, and used this example and others. Um, what do you find when, when you start to use examples and help people understand this?
1: I, I think the most common misunderstanding around definition is to define it in terms of the product or the or the services as, as Tom was just saying you know you you define it by what it is that you make rather than the customers I mean I always say you've got to define your market by customer and need and that gives you a jumping off point for more insight one of the examples I like to use is um, Procter and Gamble who are obviously a, a global consumer goods business but but they're broken up into different Divisions. They have a healthcare division, for example, but they're not necessarily in the healthcare market. Within that division, they have oral care, um, but they're not in the oral healthcare market. That they make toothpaste, but they're not in the toothpaste market. You know, if you go all the way down to the customer and pick one of their product lines, for example, they they have a, a, a toothpaste aimed at young children called Stages, or well, they did. I'm not sure if they still do, but it was Oral B Stages. So that market is is aimed at parents of young families who want dental hygiene for their children, and that's the market definition. You know, they're not in the toothpaste market. If you get to the customer and the need, you're immediately thinking in the in I believe to be the the right way to to become a great marketer because you're putting yourself into the customer shoes, not into your product shoes.
0: Mm, that's really I like the way you're you're describing that. In terms of making sure you're using the right mindset. Um, Tom, there's a there's a, what we talk about direct and indirect competitors. Can you describe that a bit more? because I think that I was surprised in our last session, we had people like had even more indirect competitors, and it's amazing once they start thinking through that. Can you describe that?
2: yeah, it's it's funny when when you define your market creatively and broadly, the, the good news is, as Sean just said, you find out a lot, you, 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 you force yourself to focus on customer needs, right? The bad news is is you 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 might find that you have a whole host of competitors that you had never thought of before. And so what's really surprising these days, especially with the advent of competition growing in almost every industry, is that our clients are finding, as we take them through the exercise of trying to identify all of their competitors, that the list is longer than ever. And it's not just... The direct competitors those that do business in the same way that you do but it's these indirect competitors as competitors that you know serve the same customer function as you do but doing do it using a you know a different technology or a different you know way i mean the, the simple example of of an indirect competitor in the southwest airlines case is is greyhound bus travel um you know, that's some, uh, a company that's meant to get customers from point A to point B, but they do it in, in a completely different way than Southwest does. And Southwest, as they define themselves differently, had to start to think about, well, you know, what, what are some of the ways that we can be a value proposition that competes with that, including keeping their fares low when a lot of their board members wanted them to raise their fares because they were just crushing the other airline competition. Um, but but one of the things, Mary, I want I I like that you say there, there's a saying that we have about uh direct and indirect competitors that seems to resonate with people whenever I hear you say it.
0: Oh <laughs> we say that direct competitors can hurt you, but the indirect competitors will kill you. And the reason that we we know it and believe it is, is that we watch people go, Oh, yeah, we know what that other guy's doing. And Um, That's the direct competitor, and they play the game the same way um, with the same type of an approach. But an indirect competitor, they serve the same benefits, as Sean's saying, once you look out at where the mindset of the customer is, but they do it in such a different way that it's easy to discount what they're doing and say, ah, oh, yeah, they, they, they use a completely different technology and yet they're actually nailing it with the customer. And, um, and a lot of times they end up winning. So, uh, yeah, the direct will hurt you, but the indirect can kill you and, uh, and not to take them lightly at all. Um, so, and we had one where it was an anti-smoking. I think that's the best example we had where, for years, you know, this company had been working on helping people to stop smoking, and there was a lot of very cool technology and um, uh, devices and drugs. And uh, this one company actually finally said, okay, indirect, indirect. And they realized what we call um, cold turkey you just stop, you don't take anything, you just stop. And that actually was a better competitor. They were actually winning in the customer's mind more than any of these other things that companies were providing. And that actually, once you kind of step away from it, it gave them a lot more insights on how they could actually do something different in the market. So yeah, um,
2: stopping, stopping smoking cold turkey doesn't cost anything.
0: No, so no. And it's not be, embarrassing. It's not right. embarrassing to tell anyone.
2: <laughs> so if you're going to charge somebody, what our client found out is if you're going to charge somebody for a stop smoking solution, it better be significantly more effective than cold turkey.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And Sean, so that kind of gets into complimenters too. Um, do you want to describe complimenters and where you've seen it help people as they thought through it?
1: Yeah. But before we jump on that though, I just wanted to just Pick up on the uh, on the uh, the indirect competitors because it's it is an interesting idea. I think you've touched on the psychology of it that it's not, in my experience at least. I'd be interested to see what you guys think. It's not always that the that the, you know, that the company doesn't see or isn't aware of some indirect competitors, but they sort of dismiss them. You know, oh, that'll never catch on, or they haven't got our distribution network, or you know think of Kodak, people are always going to want to hold the pictures in their hand and, and hand them around and have photo albums, you know, you sort of rationalize them away as well. So it's not just, it's not always a lack of awareness. It's a, it's a stubborn belief in what you're doing is right. And they're just some, some, you know, some annoyance that, that probably will go away until it's, it's too late. At least I see that. Mm-hmm. I see people tune out the indirects. I don't know if you guys have seen that as well.
0: Yeah,
2: Definitely. Definitely. But anyway, well, Sean, you know, it reminds me of the old innovators dilemma, dilemma. you know, Clayton Christensen's seminal works on all of that, where basically he found by studying innovation is that innovation is always um, underrated initially, you know, um, in in terms of threatening a a, a known business model. Because frankly, most of the time when there's a, a new indirect competitor in a business the technology isn't completely and totally developed. So however somebody else is, is, is disrupting your market, it's easy to dismiss them because people say, well, they'll never be as good as us. And, and that's just a, you know, you're signing your death certificate as a business because eventually, as we've seen, technology's improved and pretty soon the entire industries are upended and, and the incumbents um, are left wondering what happened.
1: Anyway, I, I'm throwing us off track because the question that, that, Mary, you raised me was complimenters, right, as well. And that's another interesting area because I define these as um, as, as products or services uh, that are, that that your customers may use as well. Sh- they will share your customers, but with a product that's non-competing. And it creates the opportunity of enhancing both offers with some collaboration, whether that's... A, a, a conscious effort to work together with a complementer, or whether it's just positioning yourself around them. Um, at the time of this recording, and I realize that, that uh, the, the time will age it, but at the time of this recording, the World Cup is going on at the moment, and England are still in it, and that will certainly age very quickly, probably in about seven hours. That's yeah. <laughs> why well, you're a little distracted yeah. today, Sean. <laughs> yeah, sorry, what day is it? But anyway, the, the point is this. the the uh, The pub trade, the bar trade, gets a massive lift when the World Cup is on Um, it's the biggest boost. They're praying for the the competition to go on, for England to continue because it draws people into the pub. And one of the the ways they compete is by showing the matches. You know, So in some ways, soccer, football, World Cup is a complementer to selling beer, their core business. And they know that by adding the two together, they're going to increase the footfall. Of course, most people in that trade know that. So then you get various themed nights or you'll get... um, They'll put together some barbecue food outside, so it's it's like maybe free food or subsidized food. All these things work as complimenters and sometimes they're timely. You know, Maybe having football on in a, in a bar isn't always going to drag people in. It does in sports bars, I guess. So a, a complimentary is one of those things. If you think about what else people might want that would would support or complement your offer, then putting those two together in some fashion is, is a... Uh, is often a, a multiplier effect.
0: Right, right. Well, and, and one of the, I, I like your bear example, of course. Um, as uh, as you think about complementors, what is interesting about them too is, is that they can either sit side by side and help you, or if you don't really look at them in the right way, what might happen is they may change their business model and begin to compete directly, because they have a relationship with your customer, but they're just giving them something else, but they have the customer list, they have the relationship. So the danger of a complimenter is it can turn into an indirect or even a direct competitor, or your competitors can figure it out and actually marry up to them in some way and start using that complimenter instead of you. So um, uh, so they're really uh, from the game of strategy and marketing, it's a really cool thought to think if I can do something with them ahead of the game, it actually can help change the game in your favor. Tom, do you see that or how, what do you think about how you actually can use complimenters?
2: Yeah, I think you just need to, to really pay, as you just said, Mary, you need to pay very close attention to them because they can easily move into your space. And we're seeing that a lot. I, what's interesting about that whole, Line of thinking is we were just with um, a client in the B two B, a very heavy duty industrial B two B industry, and they are trying to figure out if Amazon and Google are complementers or competitors. Now think about this for a minute. You're in a heavy. I mean, Amazon and Google don't necessarily aren't necessarily associated with these you know these heavy duty industrial markets, but they are really really good. Uh, at, um, you know, understanding, collecting data and and helping provide insights into a whole host of of strategies in those markets. And they're coming to um, a lot of the incumbents in these markets and saying, hey, we're your friend. (laughs) You know, we can help you. We can help you, you know, be be smarter, help make your customers smarter. We can help, you know, provide the data that gives your customers insights. But the big question that, this particular client, and probably all of them do, is when are they going to cut me out of the loop and, 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 and move into my industry and, and, and really steal some of the revenue sources um, that I've traditionally been able to capture for myself? There's truly a, a, a lot of paranoia in B2B markets about that, and I think it's legitimate. Do you guys agree?
1: Yeah, you know what though, Tom. I also and and what you said, Mary, about you know the the risk of complementers is they could swim upstream, you know, come into your neck of the woods. But um, it, the opposite's also true, right? You can use um, complementary products or services and see if you can't expand your strategic reach if that's what you think is the right thing mm-hmm. to do. We worked with um, a big truck rental business, a sort of a drive your own, rent the truck, move yourself in 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 uh, place to place and what have you. And they figured that a lot of um, people that rented a truck for those purposes also went on to buy packing materials, bubble wrap, cardboard, tape, and so forth, Um, and had the idea of of making that part of the offer. You could actually buy a a, a do-it-yourself packing kit. And the margins on that stuff were a heck of a lot bigger than they were on truck rental. So they saw a potential complementing product, but rather than buddy up with someone and saying, hey, can we work together? They said, you know, this is a fairly easy place for us to move into. It's pretty adjacent. Um, It's very relevant to what we do. And and that's exactly what they did and and got themselves both enhanced their service because it was a one-stop shop if you were moving yourself into a house or moving your kids into college. And, And two they increase their margins, So, you know, you can also look at complimenters as, as part of your strategic roadmap and where you might want to uh, enhance or expand your service. So or you Sean, can eat them or they can eat you.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> dog eat dog I world out it. there, Tom. It's a dog eat dog it world. It sounds
0: like, Sean, that's a great example of how to really define and redefine your market as as we have been talking throughout this theme. Um, but my question is, is that we have companies sometimes that have revolutionary, new, hot, unique products or services. And when we get to this topic, they said, yeah, but we're so unique. How do you define a market that um, where you're coming into something that has something that's so much different? And Tom, I'm wondering, how do you, what advice do you give customers or clients that, um, that have this situation?
2: Oh my gosh. I think we probably have a whole nother podcast on the topic of, you know, market creation or, you know how how you you know you price a a revolutionary new product you know in a market. Um, so I think I think we should maybe save it, Mary, if you if you're okay for another uh, entire podcast. I think the 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 biggest the thing I would say the most succinct thing I could say about it is is that whenever you have a revolutionary new product, the biggest thing that you, you need to do is find an analogy in the market. Find out how the you know the function that your new product is serving is being served today, how it's being served, what way people are finding out about it and what they're paying for it. And you know, you can start to get a sense for 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 how to enter that market and create that create that new market based on what's happened in the past.
0: Great, great. Sean, any closing thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I was thinking the same as Tom. I was thinking you know, oh here comes the uh here comes the low ball closeout question, and you hit us with a uh, "How do you define a brand new technology-driven market?" So I'm with Tom. Let's 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 definitely put that on the agenda to talk about. I go back though to that 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 where we opened is whatever products, new technology, or new offering you're making, you're still servicing a customer need that you've perceived to be real, and that's how you should define the market. Even if the customers don't yet know they have that need, you know, you've got to say we're in the market of customer plus need. Um, then your job is maybe creating, stimulating or growing that need. But if if you haven't identified a need, you're not really into a new market. So I'd always start. Great.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much. And we hope that you enjoy this podcast. Um, and we look forward to you joining us in the future. We, uh, would love to hear about any topics that you would like to, to have us address as well. Um, thank you and good luck.